Swivel. Hey there, Bootstrap listeners. Scotty Allen here. We are on a production break over the holiday season. Resting, reflecting, rejuvenating. I hope that you are getting the opportunity to do the same. During this break, we are going to be bringing you what we're calling our summer series. If you are confused because you're listening from the Northern Hemisphere, December, January, and February are summer in Australia. Over these next three weeks, we're going to be bringing you six selected episodes from a previous podcast that we've produced about the founder journey called Starting Line. It's a different format. It is more of a narrative style. And we've chosen six episodes from that series that really unpack different examples of the Bootstrap Founder journey, different industries, different experiences. If you like these episodes, you can find the Starting Line in its own feed. There are more that you can listen to. And we are going to be returning to starting line in a new series at some point in 2024. We would love your feedback. So we hope you enjoy. Again, we will be back on the 16th of January, 2024, with two new bootstrap episodes per week. And we look forward to seeing you then. So you have a business idea and you've made a start. You've got your domain name, you're putting together a business plan, you're talking to people about your idea and getting feedback. Or maybe you already have clients or people buying your products and you're thinking about how your side hustle or your freelancing could become something more. You're reading and listening to everything you can get your hands on and the success stories are inspiring, but they also seem like pretty distant goals. I mean, a pony doesn't become a unicorn overnight and do you actually want to become a unicorn? It can start to feel like the startup journey has to be about seed funding and valuations and acquisition, and that may all very well be in your future. But right now, you just want to do the thing you're passionate about and do it well and hopefully make a decent living out of it. So alongside the inspo and the stretch goals, you need something that meets you where you are now, when you're making your first decisions, setting your first priorities, and that unicorn or whatever it might be seems unreachable. From Swivel Media, I'm Scotty Allen, and this is Starting Line, where we speak to emerging and established founders and industry experts, and we start from the beginning. Some founder stories are about starting from scratch, and some are about starting over. The second is definitely the case for our guest today. Jeremy Fleming's my name, founder and CEO of Stage Kings, and now ISO King. If you've followed business news in Australia during the COVID-19 pandemic, then there's a good chance you've come across the Stage Kings story. Pre-COVID, Stage Kings was a theatrical set building company founded in 2015 by Jeremy and his wife Tabitha. The company's been responsible for building stage structures for the likes of music and arts festivals and corporate and sporting events and other things that haven't really been happening in most of Australia since the pandemic took hold. 
What Jeremy and his team did in the face of all of that has become a famous pivot story. But first, let's go back to how it all started. I, I was a bridge carpenter by trade. My apprenticeship was in bridge carpentry, which is a, a bit of an old trade, a bit like chimney sweeping now. But what that got me into was scaffolding because every bridge needs scaffolding, which then led to, to me selling scaffolding to staging companies. And so that's how that came about. And I was selling scaffold for a number of years uh, to other staging companies for this German scaffold manufacturer called Layer. I lived in Germany for a couple of years doing that and it, that led me to see how they were doing stages throughout Europe and over there the stage itself was a reason to go to a festival or to go to an event for the experience of the, the whole show, not just the artist that was on the stage. Now, as someone who wears slip-on shoes because, well, tying laces is hard, bridge carpentry sounds like a pretty mystical skill and needless to say, it's not a super common one even for handy people. So combining that with his experience in the industry in Europe, Jeremy saw an opportunity to bring this style of staging back home. You weren't seeing much of that in Australia at the time. And so it's that to, to me, it was something Australia was screaming for. There was maybe one hard style dance party was doing it, but that was it. And everything else looked the same to me. And so I, I made the, the leap and started Stage Kings with, with a couple of Dutch partners in the early days, which we bought out after a year that didn't work out, but, but it got me going. And that was the aim, was to provide these themed stages that would make the, that experience so much better. That's how Stage Kings came to be. It was wanting to bring that experiential type of event to the country. It didn't take long for Stage Kings to establish its presence in Australia. And while you may not have recognized the name, it's almost certain you've seen some of their work. We started to pick up uh, music festivals and we managed within the first year to pick up a, a job with the NRL, which was a huge installation down in Darling Harbour for the NRL Grand Final Week called NRL Nation. And that really put us on the map. And from there, we pretty became the people that could do the very big builds and over not a long time, in five years only, we've built st structures like Shakespeare's Pop-Up Globe Theatre. We built that in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. The Edinburgh Military Tattoo, uh, the Replica Castle that we built at ANZ Stadium, as well as a, a bunch of others, Ninja Warrior, the TV show, and multiple music festivals. It was going really well. With success came growth and the need to build a team. With a staging company, it all depends on what work. There is a lot of freelancers and a lot of casual guys involved. We had a quite a small core team of 12 people, but then it wasn't unusual for us to have another 30 people working in uh, either scaffolding, rigging, or carpentry and set building, depending on what the job is. So it fluctuated. And summers, we could have upwards of 100. And, and then in winter, it comes back down again, depending on what there is. But we built the opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games back in 2018. And we had 65 people on the ground on the Gold Coast for, for that six-month period. Fast forward to March 2020, and Stage Kings was in Melbourne preparing for some major events when the first impacts of the developing COVID-19 pandemic were felt. And for anyone listening outside of Australia, when Jeremy says SCOMO here, he's referring to one of the nicer nicknames for current Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. We were in Melbourne building a set piece for uh, for the Formula One. Robbie Williams and Miley Cyrus were due to play at the Formula One, and we'd uh, we'd built this big set piece to go onto a stage down there. And we would we'd been putting that in, and as well as building Ninja Warrior, it was filmed in Melbourne that year. And we were in Melbourne 
ScoMo called the press conference uh, and we were all huddled around my mobile phone watching the press conference, seeing what was going to happen. We'd heard about COVID and things that were happening overseas, but we had no idea that it, that it was about to all happen here. And yeah, we were huddled around the phone and ScoMo ban, put a ban on all public gatherings of over 500 people. And that's the majority of what we, we do. And so instantly we started ca- having cancellations and over the course of the next few days was cancellation after cancellation and we'd lost all of our upcoming work and millions of dollars worth of income off the back of that press conference. We, we did initially think that some of the events, uh, the bigger events that were still a month or two off, we th- we were sure that they'd still happen. The Vivid, the light festival here in Sydney, that that we were sure wouldn't cancel, but then it cancelled <laughs> only within the following week. And then the same with the Sydney Royal Easter Show. That's been running for over 100 years with one cancellation during the Depression. And it, 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 we thought there's no way that would cancel, and then it cancelled. So we really, uh, it, it, that was literally everything was going. Now, here in late 2021, when we're recording this, and especially here in Melbourne, where it's day 31,942 of lockdown, everyone has a pandemic story or two, and a lot of them are awful. So it's important to remember that the arts and entertainment industry was the first to really feel the true brunt of the economic impact of COVID, and in many respects has still been the least supported industry when it comes to economic assistance. So as the reality of the situation for Stage King started to set in, Jeremy and his head of production, Mick Jessup, headed back to Sydney to attend an industry event where the wider implications of the lockdown became clear. It was the darkest place you could have gone. We were in there and everyone had just lost everything, the, the whole exhibition. It was really, that was the big wake-up call that it wasn't just us that this was affecting. It was actually our whole industry was shut down. And it, that was a that was a really an eye-opening moment, but it also got us thinking then that we needed to do something else. And Mick and I were there together and we said, oh, we, we've got to get out of here. This is too depressing. And we went to a pub across the road and, and we were chatting there. And, and of course, my wife is my business partner and we'd been chatting about it already. The thought of having no income, we really, there was a very real possibility that we'd lose, we could lose everything. We'd lose the business and which meant we'd lose the house. And, and I said that to Mick at the pub. I said, we could lose the house here. And, and Mick said, he's, you're not going to lose the house. We we will make sure you're not going to lose the house. And so that was really a, a moment of positivity that then, kept going and growing. Before Jeremy and Mick could focus on regrouping, there was a difficult but necessary task that had to be done. Deliver news about the immediate future of Stage Kings to their team of nearly 30 people. We we needed to cut as much as we could. And unfortunately, the biggest thing we needed to cut was our labor. And so on Friday the 20th, we told all of our staff there was no way we could keep working, that they should take their tools and we'd be in touch when work came back. We, we planned that we could make three to four months with no income if we cut right back. So we, we needed to do that. So that was a really difficult moment, really difficult. I have to say here, I've been a manager of small teams and of big teams. I've hired a lot of people. I've had to fire some people. But having to stand down your entire team and not knowing when you're going to be able to bring them back again or if you will be able to, That is something that I cannot imagine. Jeremy and Mick set their minds to ways to ensure that their team would have a company to come back to. 
Their initial idea centered around the pandemic, but their designs and pitches for pop-up waiting rooms for testing and vaccination gained thanks from local officials, but no traction because if this whole thing has taught us anything, it's that we are terrible at planning ahead. So it was back to the drawing board, and Jeremy was checking in with industry colleagues around the globe when a certain conversation sparked what would become the winning idea. It was the Sunday morning, a couple of days later, that I was having this call with with a, with a colleague in in Ireland, and uh, he used to work for us here, and he's got his own production company in Ireland. He mentioned that he had a CNC router the same as us, and had a similar company, and they were looking to make some furniture, and that's what really flicked the switch. And I got on the phone to Mick that day, and I said, "What do you think about making?" desks. We'd seen now whole industries of people having to work from home and and desks was what they were going to need. And I mentioned it to Mick and he got straight onto it and he loved the idea. And uh, he, he came straight back and said, look, there's something in this. I'll work on a design. So Mick is our, our head of production. He's also an amazing designer uh, and a furniture maker as a hobby. So that's a lucky coincidence for us that he's right into his furniture. So he, on that Sunday, he designed up a flat pack desk and a flat pack uh, stand up desk that he not only planned, but he 3D printed on a small prototype at his house. And we met on the Monday morning with the plans and cut the first sheets on our router. And they were great. They were exactly what we thought people would want. And we were starting to make desks. And what started as a desk and a stand-up desk that we prototyped on Monday, and then my wife and business partner wrote the e-commerce site on Monday evening, watching YouTube tutorials. She put together an e-commerce site to actually sell these desks. On uh, That was on Tuesday. We took photos and, and we went live. You know, there are certainly tools that make e-commerce an easier thing to set up these days. But let's just stop here and say that getting an e-commerce website up and running overnight is amazing. So huge props. And while that was happening, Jeremy took another step that would end up proving vital. I I wrote an open letter that I put on the social media on Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, um, Instagram and basically just said we're from the event industry and uh, this COVID has hit the whole industry really hard. we're, We're possibly could lose everything. So this is something we're doing to try and keep our staff busy and to keep the lights on. It was explaining the situation. And um, and that letter went viral. It was uh, within hours that had been shared thousands of times and, uh, and was seen by a million people in only a few days. So that's what kicked it off. And uh, I think a big part of that was the support of the event industry, the music industry. One, one thing we'd decided before we'd even made a desk was that if any if we were going to do any good we were going to donate ten dollars from every desk sale uh, to support act uh, which is an organization that looks after artists and music industry workers and and anyone that falls through the government safety net cracks and they, they never qualified for job keeper or because they're mostly freelance and casuals which most of our staff were so we were donating ten dollars and i noted all of that in the letter and just said this is what we're trying to do and it, and it was it was really quite mind-blowing how quickly people picked up on that and shared it and that first day we'd sold 30 desks when all of this lockdown stuff started, if you had the experience of suddenly having to work from home and or set up your kids to learn from home, then you know that once people finish panic buying toilet paper because reasons, I mean, I still don't understand, they started panic buying 
office supplies. So you can probably guess now that this idea is going to turn out to be very timely. We, that 30 in the first days took us by surprise. We, we thought that what we'd do is we'd sell a few desks that Mick and I and a few others might make the desks and sand them during the day and drop them off on our way home to people. And after we sold 30 desks the first day, we were back on the phone to the guys we'd only just let go saying we're actually going to need quite a bit more help. And that was the first day, but then it just went really crazy. We were Within days, we were selling over 200 desks a day. And, and we were lucky enough that we got a lot of media attention very quickly. It was, it was a, a story where everyone was being laid off, but we were trying to pull people back into work. So Channel 10 News ran a story only a couple of days after we started. And then the Sunday paper ran a full page uh, feature on us. And that's what really went crazy. We were yeah, hundreds and hundreds of products every day. And so not only did we bring our guys back, we we then needed to ramp up. And so we went again back to that community and to the event industry and said any out of work event workers that want to help us come and sand or package and or, or deliver. We were also hand delivering everything at the time to reach out and, and come and work. And so it was only a, a matter of weeks before we actually put an additional 70 staff on to manage the ramp up. It was crazy. The initial idea of building a few items and hand delivering them in the local area had to evolve very quickly into a wider network of production and shipping. And this wasn't just about making new contacts and business relationships. It was about learning entirely new skills and creating new business functions. The, the big thing was we when we were Stage Kings and events, we were purely uh, B2B. But then this big swing to B2C, there was a lot of learnings we took from that. We needed to make sure our customer service was right because there's always someone is on the phone and needs someone something answered. And yeah, on, online retail was a completely new beast to us. But we were lucky that the, we pulled the, the event guys that came in and our existing staff all transition so smoothly we actually we pulled in even a Qantas first class flight attendant that couldn't fly anymore she took over customer service and you you just can't get better customer service than that so it's we learned a lot and we had set builders that were helping us to put together dispatch procedures and our scaffolders were wrapping and packaging and so everyone was doing something different but the fact that everyone was still able to work and and it was it was a really positive place riding on the success of their initial desk offerings Jeremy and the team expanded their furniture range and product lines. This kept the team employed and this new side of the business going throughout 2020. ISO Kings had exceeded expectations and helped the company navigate an incredibly difficult time. But as 2021 came around, with the possibility of events getting back on the calendar, a decision about its future needed to be made. We had a pretty big decision to make around the first anniversary of ISO King back in March where that's when events really started to come back. Yeah, lockdowns had eased and there were people were putting on a few more things. And we had that we the, the decision to either wind down ISO King or actually to to push it even further. And, and we chose to do that because the equity we had in the brand was so great that we needed to give it a chance. So we actually branded it a separate company then. It's still under the one company currently, but it's a individual branding. So we are pushing them both independently now. 
We're sitting at around 50 at the moment. And again, uh, with some event stuff coming back at ramps, it comes up and down. We've, we've actually needed to move to a bigger premises. We, we had 1800 square meters where we're now in 5,000 meter warehouse. So we've, we've expanded that the ISO King building. We've now within after our first year, we've created more sort of substantial products. So we're doing bed frames now and entertainment units and coffee tables. And we're actually just prototyping sofas at the moment. So uh, we've needed a much more space to do that. We asked Jeremy for his thoughts on the factors that led to this story having a positive outcome. He reflected on some of the pillars of success that were in place before the pandemic. We're lucky enough that that they they were the same suppliers. So we buy a lot of timber for sets and the birch plywood that we needed, the the same guys had. So our suppliers, we already had a relationship with and they were also very supportive and and helped us from the start. So we were lucky that we didn't need to go and find new suppliers and... the, our, all, all of our suppliers were so understanding as well. As soon as the event industry uh, wound up, we had our scaffold suppliers and trust suppliers calling to say, look, we understand the situation and we just want you to know we're here to support you guys and, and anything you need to do. So it, was, it, it made it a much easier thing. I'm very lucky that my wife is involved in the business and understands the, everything that it takes. And I'm also very lucky that she did all of the homeschooling. I think if had I needed to be there to do that, then I certainly wouldn't have remained sane. But we we work very well together. And what that means is that I can focus entirely on, on this as we make sure we have family time, of course. But that's what keeps me sane. I think it would have been really difficult to do it without Tab. One of the key things that we can take away from this story as emerging founders or entrepreneurs is the vital importance of risk-taking. As a product manager and a consultant, I've seen too many companies fall into the trap of bearing down into what they already know instead of looking up for new opportunities in a crisis or a downturn. When we get too fixated on the thing that we do, then our only solution to a problem becomes to do more of the same thing. So when people aren't buying sprockets, we make more sprockets and sell them harder. We trade out our sales team for better sprocket sellers, when instead we could be looking at what other arrows we might have in our quiver that we can utilize to continue to build and grow the business. You know, pivot has become one of those words like unprecedented that has been so overused in these last couple of years, it's kind of lost its meaning. But I think it's an important word to reclaim here. A pivot in entrepreneurship is not just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's a fundamental change in the direction of a business, and it's something that most businesses fail to do successfully. Hopefully, you or I will never be in as high stakes a position as Jeremy was when he chose to take a risk and pivot his business, but we can absolutely learn from his experience by being mindful and open to different avenues or opportunities and being willing to let our ideas go or change in order to be successful. And that's one of the big things I've taken is we, we had all of our eggs in one basket in we, we did events, that's it. When events shut down and you've got no other option, pretty scary. So we're trying now with the furniture and we've also now set up a steel fabrication and we've got a signage shop also in-house where we're creating other pillars of income. If when events go down, we're actually we're, we're working in other areas. We're, we're doing shopping, we're doing retail fit-outs and hospitality fit-outs now and we've brought and our, our offering. And a lot of that has come off the back of the furniture. 
The other takeaway here is the type of culture that's created when you open yourself up to ideas from other people. As a founder, there is an incredible sense of responsibility to have the answers. When you make that a shared responsibility and you show that you're open to the solution coming from anyone in the team, it pays dividends. It's it's challenging trying to operate in a market you don't know. It's just, it's about having a go. And that's what I've really tried to pass on to everyone, all the staff is, if anyone's got an idea, let's talk about it. And the amount of people that have come up to me since since we've done this and said, ah, oh, look, I've, I had a great, I, I had an idea I thought could work and didn't do anything about it. That's what I want to make sure people don't do is if you've got a great idea to just to go for it and make small steps, but, but move forward. And the fact that we've come through this as well as, and learnt that you can't rely on one pillar of income that you, we need to really make sure we have other income streams. We've learned a lot as as an organization. Uh, the positivity that everyone here has is really quite amazing, I think. I've not been anywhere else where everyone is as positive, and I think that's a big part of it. I'm really proud of that. It, it's back to that making a move and actually just making a start uh, to have a good idea. If you've got a business idea and you think it's going to work, don't just think about it. Uh, make the steps to make it happen. And uh, small steps are, are, are good. You, know, you don't need to make giant leaps forward. It's uh, just making small steps in the right direction. But actually having a go is my biggest uh, piece of advice. If you'd like to learn more about Stage Kings or ISO King, you can head to stagekings.com.au or isoking.com.au or their pages on Facebook and Instagram. Our huge thanks to Jeremy Fleming for taking the time to talk to us for this episode. Starting Line is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace and me, Scotty Allen. Our consulting producer is Amanda Reedy. Original music and sound design is by Ash Deneef, and our show artwork is by Mark Osmendi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all our shows and find us on social media for updates on new releases.